Hello, hello, hello. This is Genesis. Um, welcome to presenting Genesis. Thank you for being here. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for witnessing me coming out of my whale mode. So grateful to be alive. I really, really am. I'm so happy that you are here. I think I said that already, but I am very happy that you're here nonetheless. If you're a regular, if you're irregular and a regular <laughs> on this podcast, you might be wondering, um, Genesis, this episode is not titled My Seven Relationship Senses Part Two. You said that last week was a part one of describing your senses. Doesn't it make sense that this week would be part two? And yes, I agree. That makes sense. It makes perfect sense. It is very logical. But this is my show, and as Nicki Minaj said, I do's as I pleases. So get your own show and talk about your part ones and part twos in subsequent order, but this is my show. I am talking about something that I have wanted to talk about since last year. Um, actually, I have been talking about this since last year, since last fall, but I wanted to talk about it with you all in person on podcast. <laughs> And uh, I had also to to gather some information to make my point more effectively. I'm not one to do yearly predictions. I'm not Azalea Banks. I want to work on channeling my psychic powers for global effect rather than personal gain, but that comes with time and practice, which occurs over time. So in the meantime, I will just listen to the predictions that do come my way through energy waves into my brain, no matter how small or silly. And this episode, which I'm very excited about if you can't tell, is me telling you all a prediction that I have for this year and the coming years. And that prediction is that we are in the very beginning stages of experiencing a resurgence of funk and disco and of course everything and more that comes with that. And I think it is so exciting. I mean, I'm like, finally, and you might think the same thing, but I think we have to take a trip back in time for a little bit to explore the first iterations of funk and disco, what caused these genres to become so popular, what were the popular venues in which these genres were performed, and also very importantly, who originated these genres. Also the culture surrounding funk and disco, and then after we explore that very minutely, we're going to go further back in time to understand what the predecessors to that culture were, or those two are gonna be in reverse order, like going all the way back and then coming into the present. That makes more sense. Anyway, please keep in mind, please keep in mind, massive disclaimer that I am not a music expert. I am not Ted Gioia, I'm not Blind Boy. However, I am an avid listener and a practicing historian. I don't have all the facts ever created, but I definitely have some of them. And also, as a self-justification, people with less facts say, worse things with more conviction so i feel there's nothing wrong with smart people aka me speaking on a topic that they have lightly to extensively researched and spoken with other people about who are actually there so here we go funk and disco mm, snaps for funk and disco funk and disco are clearly to me and if you're paying attention to you in the beginning phases of their renaissance disco may seem more so because of beyonce's recent disco album and the way that her fame kind of catapults anything that she creates, for better or for worse or for neutral, into the spotlight. Regardless, that album is seminal 
for one main reason. Through this album, she changed, even if for a very short amount of time, ecologically speaking, what most mindless music consumers consider to be pop music. It's kind of the first iteration that we're seeing of disco music becoming pop music than being one and the same. And she's not the only one doing this. More obscure musicians than Beyonce, which are a lot of artists, are creating more and more funk and disco albums or even songs on their albums, even if it seems out of character for them to perform. For example, on Bibio's most recent album, and you might recognize the name Bibio, Lover's Carvings, I think is the most famous song. It's a great song. But there's a song on Bibio's most recent album called SOL, and it is a bop. Major funk elements. I mean, that bass is ass slapping. It is so funky. Um, even, this is, this is in character, but I'll even mention Calvin Harris's album here. I, <laughs> I detested most of it and not really because of the beats. The beats were fun, funky, and for the most part downright danceable, but no matter, no matter that, I mean, they're pretty blase. However, most of the rappers and the singers were like performing on top of the beats and not getting done and dirty within them. And it was just ugh, lackluster. That's what funk and disco was all about getting down and dirty and stanky and feeling the beat in our core so hard that our heartbeats all mesh. And whether we're on drugs or dancing in a legal club or not, we're all feeling the beat together. And it's a little prosy, but the basis of what I'm saying is that Busta Rhymes and the D-O-double-G were on a whole nother tier in that album because they just get it. Their fame didn't come because they were formulaic. So they just get it. But I was so disappointed in Pharrell on that album. Just horrible. Also, maybe it was just me, but I think the volume of Calvin Harris's like contribution to that could have just been turned up. Like the beats could have been turned up another decibel or two. But anyway, I'm getting animated, but this is not a review of Funk Wave Bounces Volume 1 or Volume 2. But what I am saying is that even Calvin Harris and those tracks is also part of this changing the pop music game. Even if most of the songs were horrendous, we have to start somewhere. The pop music game has to change a little bit. And it makes sense to me. It makes sense that this whole thing is starting to really take off now. And it's about damn time. I mean, pop music as a whole, okay, as a whole has been horribly boring and formulaic for over a decade. And that's just not sustainable. I'm not, okay. No shade to Lady Gaga. No shade to Nicki Minaj, who is simultaneously a pop and a rap star. No shade to Britney Spears. I mean, to the to the greats, even to Ariana Grande. Slight shade, slight shade. But like, they can't carry the game on their own. This, they can't do this on their own. The majority of pop music, agree with me or not, I don't care. It's bad. It is. It's just, it's just not sustainable. It's just not sustainable. I'm not gonna romanticize funk and disco either um, and say that it's all incredibly good and not formulaic because that's also not true. There are some certifiably terrible funk and disco songs. There are, there are. But to really talk about this, I think I have to actually take this journey into the past, but I'm gonna say something first. I'm gonna say something first. I am not going to get down and dirty with the history extensively 
at all because they're already amazing. And when I say amazing, I actually, I'm stamping amazing podcasts that you can listen to that have already done that. And I don't reinvent the wheel. I just go where I want to go on it. So listen to those and I will link those in the episode notes. Before we go into this, again, number two, I want to say funk and disco are different genres and they were not created at the same time. I think you're going to find a lot of articles online that say like funk and disco were created in the 70s. No, disco was not created in the 70s. It was created in like the 50s and funk was not created in the 70s. It, it's a, this is a, funk is one of those genres that is the bedrock of music as a whole. I mean, funk is, it's undefinable. It's an attitude. It's a way of life. It's a freedom. I was listening to this podcast episode by MCMLG called The History of Funk, The Grand Funk Time Machine. I'm pretty sure he made this podcast episode for class, so it's not a series, but it is an incredible firsthand account and expertise of funk. And he says about funk, if our bodies couldn't be free, our minds and spirits could be. And that's what funk represents to us. And he's talking about how Africans were kidnapped and brought to the Americas, which led to funk developing in the Americas. And even though Free Your Mind came out in the 90s by On Vogue, way past the 60s to 80s funk, it's hip hop and funk elements are major. And so this is me saying like funk is the predecessor to disco. They were not created at the same time. Disco was also developed like funk as well by the most marginalized in the United States. Gay, black and brown folks, New York City, po folk. Like this is not a rich person's game. I'm not gonna go into detail on disco either because Blind Boy goes through the history of disco in his podcast episode from 2018. And I'm gonna link that, don't worry. They are incredible. Collectively, it's like maybe like three hours of listening, but it is so, so, so worth it. Essentially, 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 even though funk and disco were created by the most marginalized in the United States at the time and still i don't know why i said at the time that's still a fact that is horrific disco and funk arise out of this pursuance of joy and freedom from the most oppressed and every pure iteration of funk and disco no matter the cross genre or the transmutation they all carry that fight for freedom within it every pure iteration carries that fight for freedom in it Funk and disco will always have its roots in African and Habibi and Latinx beats and style and of course gay culture and they're about truth. It's about no judgment, no gender. It's just that bass and that drum, baby. There's nothing formulaic about it. And I think that's what irritates me about pop music nowadays. It's not necessarily the formula of it or even how mainstream it is by definition. It, it's not that at all. At certain points in recent history, disco and funk were considered mainstream and were the pop music, mid and late 70s respectively. That's what happens. I mean, the cool, the hip becomes popular, but our fascist capitalist global culture can't sustain the music of protest created by the most oppressed for very long. And I mean, it's cool. Like funk, disco, post-disco, house, early hip hop, it's cool because they're they have these unconventional ways of performing songs and creating songs outside of the verse, chorus, verse, chorus, fucking bridge, double chorus, which is what 
<laughs> it's why pop music is so gosh darn committed to you and it is unbearable. It is unbearable. And it doesn't even stop there because pop funk is something that's happening as a genre now. And that's great. Funk is getting into pop culture again. Very cool on the outside, but it's mostly annoying because from where I'm looking, the melody is shit. There is no slap bass. The drum breaks are non-existent. I mean, where are the dance breaks? Like Calvin Harris, where are the breakdowns? Where's the four minutes of absolute, like stunning funk, four on the floor, where is that? You know, it's, it's, it's impossible. I mean, you know what? I do know where it is. It's, it's down the path that doesn't make as much money as putting rappers on, on subpar freaking funk beats that only know how to rap over like TikTok dance shit. Okay. I'm getting upset. I'm getting upset. I'm getting upset. I need to calm down. I need to calm down. But disco as opposed to funk is, it's kind of a different story though. And I also have an issue. <laughs> I have an issue with so many things, but I kind of have an issue with the proliferation of dance music. Um, and no, I have an issue with the proliferation of disco in music nowadays, not dance music. I do kind of have an issue with dance music, but I'll get to that later. Um, my issue with disco and music nowadays which is kind of similar, but slightly different to funk is uh, Beyonce's album aside, by the way, because I'm not going to go into that. Other people have done that and they've done a good job at that. But I'm going to go into this concept of uh, mimesis because it brings me to some historical points finally that I've been talking about since the very beginning of this episode. Mimesis, if you look it up, M-I-M-E-S-I-S -S means less like imitation, like a mime, right? But more like representation like not representation but representation pack packaging something that's sort of similar to look a little different on the outside maybe a little bit on the inside it's not it's a little different but it's a representation of it and that matters because of what i'm about to explain now funk has been around for a long time as i said it's been it's been around since before africans were illegally legally kidnapped and brought to the americas okay this is this is an ancient an ancient genre uh, but i'm gonna only go back to the 1800s funk was becoming way more westernized because to the kidnapping of africans for enslavement purposes in the americas as i just mentioned and the westernification of funk isn't a bad thing though because music is life-giving and it's life-changing and being able to create is really important especially to the most oppressed even if like nothing monetary happens with it it's it's um it's what keeps us alive i think is creating art creating music it's like that uh dead poet society quote like poetry and art something keep us alive whatever robin williams said he's right um and so much so that slaves playing music and dancing was seen as a threat to oppressors, which we love that. We love being a threat to the oppressors. Um, and I think that funk music, which is also called 
unconventional to the oppressor's music standards music is essentially outlawed at this point. Um, so it becomes a, a crime for oppressed people to play, to play their music, to play funk music. And this is happening across the Americas and it happens at different times, but it happens across the Americas, which I think makes it extremely relevant. Now in the early 1900s, slavery is technically illegal, but not really because it still isn't illegal. But my prison abolition episode will come later, just in believe. Anyway, funk has by some kind of proxy been made legal again because slavery is technically illegal. And funk becomes the basis behind a kind of classical music which we call ragtime and it's also the basis uh, as well as jazz behind a very popular genre which is called blues now blues is more melody based than funk is not that funk isn't melody based um but bringing jazz and funk together is so beautiful because there's still this amazing improvisation and the amazing chord progression but also like the lyrics to me are what make it funk, what make it unconventional, what make it have that attitude of freedom. Like this is what we're uplifting is, is the lyrics here. Um, I think that's really beautiful. But aside from blues, I'm not gonna get into blues. <laughs> ragtime and funk, however, funk, ragtime, whatever. They're fairly popular. Ragtime is a fairly popular genre. And in the late 1910s to the early 1930s, they become absolutely mainstreamed by white people when it becomes uh, merged with uh, ballroom music. And I mean, ballroom music, when I say that, I'm not saying like ballroom dancing, I'm not saying that it's this like choreographed ballroom dancing. No, it's it's this on the ground in a party in like a massive ballroom type of foyer, just dancing with other people and dancing with a partner or multiple partners or by yourself or whatever. Like that's what I mean when I say ballroom dancing. And then you really have to think about too, like the actual historical context behind why this is so popular like why this dance-based sometimes up-tempo ragtime tune is becoming popular and i'll tell you because of the end of world war one because of a pandemic that had just happened um and i mean the us was still at war after world war War ended like it was they were at war before it ended with in another war so it's not like they're not at war anymore but I think we can all kind of relate to some people wanting to be around people that they haven't seen in a while or people that they've never even seen before straight away after quarantining, after being in war, after surviving World War One. I. I mean, God, like there were some serious traumas after that war, all wars, but geez, World War One is absolutely horrendous. But nothing makes people want to dance more than a war sort of ending. Anyway, when ballroom dancing becomes popularized and mainstream, dance becomes, dance becomes like a, 
a necessary action that we all have to follow. And so Ragtime and Funk are being the soundtrack to this necessary action, they become pop music. It makes its first pop appearance, which means unfortunately that the white people whose parents and or themselves who had once demonized and illegalized funk music begin to create it because now it has monetary value. Now to put it in our terms, that's what's getting the streams. That's what's making the money. So that's where they're going. That's what they're doing. So then of course, when the great depression occurs in the United States, ragtime and funk become cringe because now people are too poor to dance and host extravagant parties and massive extravagant mansions to ignore what everyone else is going through. Now, like the people who were doing that, now they're poor too. So black music essentially becomes cringe <laughs> in the 1930s uh, for white people. Anyway, moving past that, I'm gonna skip ahead to the 1970s because ballroom dance music, uh, warehouse music, uh, disco music, funk music, in the 1970s is experiencing an actual craze and absolute pop music insanity because funk music has made the resurgence in the form of disco. Now disco had been popular in New York among gay, black, Latinx culture, working class culture, intersections for almost 20 years at this point, like since the 1950s, but now the straight rich whites have found it and we're completely changing the game, changing the culture of disco for better, but also for worse. Historically, in the last 20 years, there were wars happening everywhere you could look, like 1950s, I mean the Palestine War, so many wars for independence in Africa because of colonization, the Chinese Civil War, the Vietnam War, and so many other wars that I'm not mentioning, but all the wars that I mentioned combined have over 3 million fatalities. And one of them is still ongoing, you know, Free Palestine. And again, like Lana Del Rey said, <laughs> I can't say Free Palestine than say Lana Del Rey, but I just did. Like Lana Del Rey said, when the world was at war, we kept dancing. And I, and by we, she met white people. I'm kidding, but I'm not. Everyone was on drugs though. Everyone was having sex and everyone was dancing or they were on drugs and they were having sex and they were at war whatever disco music was the the music if you weren't listening to disco music if you weren't making disco music die like what are you doing disco was pop music disco was the mainstream music it was the music that was streamed the most it was the records that were being picked up from the store the most people were asking for disco records for christmas disco was on top living so, <laughs> I just thought of a story, a complete side note about the Vietnam War. Um, for my eighth grade documentary project, um, my group got assigned the Tet Offensive, which was near the beginning of Vietnam War, if you don't know, 1968. Anyway, my group told me that I had to, that I, me, had to take the restaged photos because like that was all part of it. We had to restage some photos and find some photos. But they told me that I had to take the restage photos because, and I quote, there were no black people in the Vietnam War. 
I can't even say it without laughing. Because I, I mean, that's private school education. Like that's what that is. If you're trying to figure out, oh, when I get older, like, and I have kids or my kids now, should I, should I put them in private school? Uh, depends on your, on your, your zone school activities, but the answer, the answer might be no. Small class sizes though are amazing for a kid that has trouble functioning as like a, a regular human being. So that's nice, but private school education gets you just mad racism. That's a pro tip. Anyway, whew, disco and funk become cringe again because of AIDS. And it's not because people are dying necessarily. Like disco and funk aren't becoming cringe because the originators of the culture are dying. They become cringe because the United States government did jack shit about it. Like absolutely nothing about it. The people that were in the clubs going crazy, insane, stupid were like, oh, fuck, <laughs> like I can't. This is too much for me. So the culture that was still alive and well in the seventies that everyone was like into and like dancing to all of a sudden, like all the people disappeared, whether they were dying from AIDS or they just like extricated themselves from the whole scene. Now, of course there's still people in the clubs dancing. And of course there's still people who are making disco music and funk music, of course, but they were kind of forced underground because the United States government is a piece of shit. They wouldn't even say AIDS. They called it a gay cancer. They wouldn't even say the, the word AIDS. And so the culture, the culture is, is, is dying. And the, and the people, the governments that could potentially do something about it are doing nothing about it. But no, not only are they doing nothing about it, they are doing anti something about it. They are doing something not about it, actively not about it. But which is I think really cool is that disco is still popular. It's a still popular genre in the world, everywhere else. Like it did not go away. It can't go away. Unconventional can't go away. Freedom can't go away. I mean, in Japan and Italy and other places for sure, but those two places, I mean, they have an insane handle on soul and funk and disco. Like it is so freaking groovy and it is so new yet so old. And I swear to God, it's just in their veins. Like funk and disco can't go away. Even in the United States, they were still present. But like I said, they had to go underground. And so in a sense, the two genres, they, they had to go back to black. They had to get pure. Funk went back to its roots. I mean, Gil Scott freaking Heron, like my God. And Funkadelic, geez, like that music was born out of the beginnings of the AIDS crisis. Like it is born out of the Vietnam War. It's born out of the civil rights movement. It's born out of like Stonewall. Like this shit is so, amazing and it's so black and it is so pure and it is so gay like it's incredible and disco gave birth to house music which colloquially and also literally is the child disco is the mother of house music okay and also 
in that transition of like disco into house, it got pure. We went back to the drum. We went back to the like that four on the floor like that. We went back to that and it is so good. Like that is heartbeat stuff. It is amazing. And then that, that pure funk and post disco and house music gave birth to early hip hop and thank goddess for that. I mean, that progression is heavenly. What? Funk to disco to disco funk to disco dance soul music to post disco to house to hip hop. <sighs> so now that disco and funk are experiencing a resurgence, now that this is happening, it makes sense to me. I mean, historically, dance music starts arising because we collectively, globally, culturally need to dance. I mean, there's so many wars. I can't, I can't and will not get into how many wars have technically ended but are still ongoing and aren't report. I cannot do that. Um, but historically, as I just said, why does disco music arise? Why does funk music arise? What's the resurgence of it? Oh yeah, needing to liberate oppressed people from the pain of existing, even if it's like in our minds and like having the freedom of dancing with our bodies for like a song. It is so important. So my question is, can we do this in a way where we actually learn from the mistakes of the past, like please, like we have done so much wrong to disco and funk music already. So I'm like, can we learn? Is that a thing that we can do? Do we change? Can we change? So let me just tell you a little something, a little secret, because this these are dire times for music right now. And if we're trying to introduce funk into this, as a new element, disco into this as a new element. I'm looking forward to when overall, the funk music of, to of today, the unconventional music of today stops trying to sound like pop music. Cause what's, I mean, if funk means unconventional, why why is it trying to be formulaic? Like, I don't understand. That's a, it's a, this opposition, like they just won't, go together. It's not like opposites attracting in this case. It sounds bad. And it sounds like the pop music that we all know, but it then becomes something that we hate. And it actually begins to transform in a way that like people think they hate funk music. No, you don't hate funk music. You actually love it. <laughs> Me hypnotizing you. You love funk music. But seriously, I mean, we have to create funk music and disco music in a way that sounds unique to it and not formulaic. But unfortunately, funk and disco are already kind of becoming a little micro trend that I think are going to become a macro trend. It's already in the works. I can feel it. In fact, Jordan Sparks just came up with a song that like reeks of funk. And while it's formulaic and not very good, it's still intriguing, I think, because Jordan Sparks, I mean, we're talking like No Air 2011, was that? Came out? Tell me how I'm supposed to be with No Air. Like Pop Queen, okay? It's coming out with a funk song ahead of the times, ahead of the curve. 
I'm interested to see what's gonna come next. But also, there's people that are already doing this. I mean, besides Beyonce and Calvin Harris, besides them, there's people in the United States and not. They're influencing people locally and globally in the United States arena. And I'm not including Jordan Sparks, but I am including Still Boozy, Krungbin, Wolfpack, Mosey, Tune Yards, Breakbot, Sylvan Esso occasionally, The Free Label, Jafunk, Papa Rod, Terrace Martin, Rick Wilson, Interwave has their moments with it too. The Avalanches, I know they're Australian, but I will always love them. Funky, DL and Jazz Spastics and Sophie, may she rest in peace, and AG Cook and Charlie XCX in the UK. And a big shout out to Nappyhead Funk Army, a local band here in Durham, North Carolina too. Honorable mention to Molchat Doma and literally the gratefully countless DJs worldwide who are reviving old funk, disco, and house, turning them sample by sample, set by set into new classics. Like they are all exposing us to the power of funk music now. And I know that on your YouTubes during the, the pandemic in 2020, early pandemic vibe, I know that you were seeing all those DJ sets that they were doing on YouTube, an hour long DJ set, and it was usually like Brazilian funk, like Brazilian disco, Chicago house, like stuff that makes you wanna get up and dance because dancing is important. And I think this is all happening right now for a reason. And so what's the future of this? Like what's the future of funk and disco? Is it always gonna be like a DJ over the web performing and we just dance? Are we gonna be able to see sets like this live? What's the future like of nightclubs? Are we gonna be the generation that kids 50 years from now are gonna be like, mm, I wish that, I wish that I was, I wish that I, was born in the 1960s so that I can, I could have been there. I could have been in the clubs. Like, okay, okay, chill. You, <laughs> you do not wish you were born in the 1960s. And if you do, screw loose. But I think that we're gonna be entering into this really interesting time in which we, my generation, are the people in the nightclubs, are the people like, creating a Studio 54 part two, but like not white, right? Cause that's kind of an issue with Studio 54 that I have. It's like the whiteification of disco and funk music, the white appropriation, if you will. But funk and disco, funk and disco are two of my favorite genres. I can't, sometimes it's hard for me to call funk a genre because it's like in everything all the time, but there's been so much genre misking, mick misnitsky. Not Mitski. There's been so much genre mixing over the years that has just developed so effortlessly and so beautifully that I think that we don't even always know that we're listening to funk. Psychedelic rock has it has its roots in psychedelic funk. I mean, there's funk soul, Habibi funk, Thai funk, jazz funk, Brazilian funk, West African funk. Ethiopian funk, and I mean, disco goes crazy. Disco club, disco hip hop, funk hip hop, disco soul, disco house, of course. Disco dance, of course. And space funk, space disco. I mean, Daft Punk were the only ones to do this, but thank you to Daft Punk anyway. Your album, Tron Legacy, influenced me so much. I can hardly stand it. I can't even think about that album without getting butterflies in my stomach from how 
amazing and like how much I have a crush on that album and that movie. It is, it is so good. I cannot stress that enough, how good it is. You know what? I'm going to leak Tron, like I'm going to link Tron Legacy, the album in the link. I mean, in the episode notes, I think Avicii, may he rest in peace, also was on. I think so. I think he made a remix of a Tron Legacy song. I mean, it's, it's amazing. It's an amazing album. You know what? I'm going to make a full episode on Tron Legacy. It is so good. I might even do part two, like two parts. And those will definitely come one after the other because I'm too excited. <laughs> anyway, anyway. Dance music, which has like historically always drawn from funk music, from disco, from polka, from salsa to soul, to house music, to Afro-Caribbean beats, and even trap. I mean, there's so much more. Like dance music is so incredible. Like all those things have this massive influence on culture and i think they also have a massive influence on why the culture is shifting towards funk and disco music and there's also always been so many cultures that take part in this funk and disco exploration and they always have i mean these cultures are continuing to influence current artists who are and have been delving into funk and disco music, whether they even know it or not. It's such a, an infectious and a beautiful space to be in in the music world to explore funk and disco and the effects that they have on each other and on the global world and on the most oppressed people. And to me, I mean, it's clear in the sheer amount of fucking DJs around the world, like it's insane. This YouTuber Cody Ko just uploaded a video about him trying to be an okay DJ. And it's just this thing, like DJing has become this thing that is that is not like a an underground activity anymore. It's it's actually extremely accessible for rich people right now. And it is so it's so sad that disco music and funk music have been so co-opted by rich DJs that some people, I swear to God, they just make a preloaded garage band mix and just press play and pretend to be a disc jockey. Like that's abysmal. But also there are some people that are actually disc jockeying, some people that actually make funk and disco songs and they put in dance breaks and they put in drum beats and they create an unconventional song order I mean, it's it's gorgeous. It's it's life giving. Dance music needs to be life giving, and then others make quote dead brain pieces of generic dance music without a single distinguishing feature. Thank you, Mike Smack, for including that review of Kim Kardashian's flop ass song Jam. But I'm I'm not gonna go into who I think belongs in that category of dead brain pieces of generic dance music without a single distinguishing feature. But what I will say is that my problems with pop music are that number one, actually, no, not pop music. My problems with dance music are that number one, streams mean absolute shit. And I will not go deeper into that. Number two, just because you can physically, just because your body can physically move to the beat that that song produces for you doesn't mean that the song is good. That's a little controversial, I think, but again, I will not explain. I am correct though, and I'm not fighting with you. And number three, this is not controversial. This is incredibly real. 
people are more obsessed with worshiping the musicians and the musicians' lifestyle and the musicians' partners and the musicians' clothes. They're more obsessed with that than they are about the actual music that the musician creates. And the only reason fans or stands, whatever you want to call them, care about the music they create is because that musician creates it. Like, I swear, it's not even good. It is not good, and y'all know it's good. But the only reason that you're listening to it and giving it streams and giving it money is because Taylor Swift made it. I guarantee you, I guarantee you that if Taylor Swift had some unknown person sing and release any of the songs on her last couple of albums without any credit from her, which would never happen, let's go late stage capitalism, but if she had that happen, that shit would flop and you know it because it was so bad. Oh my God, aesthetics is gonna be the death of us all. <sighs> I couldn't resist, I couldn't resist that Taylor Swift dig. I really couldn't, shit music. Um, but moving on, what I'm trying to say <laughs> is that we're at a turning point of music and I wouldn't be surprised if we choose to go deeper and deeper into the formulaic made for TikTok or rather made through TikTok or rather made because of TikTok following, whatever. I wouldn't be surprised if we chose to go deeper and deeper into being music being judged by rapid success and music being controlled by the top 20 artists at the time. Now, don't get me wrong, I don't personally have a TikTok, but I have found so many people on other social media sites like SoundCloud and YouTube, like Chloe and Hallie, like Billie Eilish. Like I remember listening to Billie Eilish in 2014 and being like, damn, she has a voice on her places like that are super important places where people can upload their music and just sing and honestly doesn't even care at the time then again this was like era between like 2008 and 2014 where you could post a video of you singing with like god's worst lighting created in mankind and people will listen because your voice sounds good that, those days are over though, because TikTok is different. And I'm not gonna pretend like someone having to show their face and make a video that simultaneously sells their voice as well as their lifestyle is anything like SoundCloud or anything like 2008, 2014 YouTube, because it's, it's not, it's not the same. I would be absolutely overjoyed if we cared less about the aesthetics and less about the, the aesthetic nature of the life of a musician and, and more about the art that they were making, more about more about like the the artistic value of that creation. And I don't think podcasts are exempt are exempt from this either. Like y'all might not like this, but I like it, so I'm just gonna keep going. What I'm trying to say overall is that funk and disco are the music of healing. And we know true funk when we hear it. We know true funk when we see it. We know unconventionality and originality when we feel it because a lot of people are gonna hate it. Because that's the majority of people are not gonna like it at first. That's funk, that's that attitude, that's that unconventionality. It is amazing. Funk doesn't have to be loud and abrasive, although it can be, and it certainly is in some instances, 
But the minute we try to box Funk into this, I don't know, this caricature of what Funk actually is into this like mold, this aesthetic mold created for it from pop music robot generators, like that's, that's when good music dies. This is strong, but good music could be dying because bad music is living. It is living. It is in its girl boss era. For real. It really is. It really is. Yeah. Good music is currently flopping. That's, we need to take that seriously. That's a problem. But I've talked, <laughs> out of, I've talked a lot already kind of tired of hearing my own voice but also I will probably keep talking to myself about this for like the next couple of days and anyone who can listen so thank you for listening if you've made it all the way to the end thank you so much you can find me on Spotify Substack Apple Podcast TuneIn and Anchor where I record and I promise you that the next episode next Sunday will be part two of my relationship senses um, you can support this podcast via the link in my bio I'm going to link the podcast that I mentioned earlier, as well as Mike's Mike's video, Mike, 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 Mike's video about the influencer to top charting musician pipeline, because it's, that's also a great piece of media, but that's it. I'm done. If you have thoughts on this, let me know. I'm super interested. Um, that sounded a little sarcastic, but I'm not, I'm actually really, really interested. I swear I am. You can email me at uh, presentinggenesis at gmail.com. No dot dot dot, just presentinggenesis at gmail dot dot, presentinggenesis at gmail.com. I need to get off the air. I need to stop listening to myself speak, but thank you for listening to me speak. I'm so grateful to be here and I'm very happy that you were here too. Okay, bye.